You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, well, uh, it's good to come together uh, and to study God's Word. If you're joining us online, just a special welcome to you. Uh, as you join us today, uh, we're thankful that you are joining us. If you uh, would want to just let us know uh, who you are uh, so that we know you're with us today and uh, hope that you could be with us someday soon. Well, we are continuing our study of Romans chapter 12. Um, and uh, again, important to kind of keep the context in mind as we're going through uh, this book. This all falls under the category of in light of the mercies of God. In light of the mercies of God, you and I are called to live as living sacrifices. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12, 1. In order to live as living sacrifices, which is our right worship, which is our spiritual worship, it says, we must not be conformed to this world, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we do that by being in God's Word. And God's Word changes our hearts and minds so that we might know what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Paul has been talking about, now what does that look like on a week-to-week, day-by-day basis? He began by talking about the church and how the church should look. What, does, what is God's will for the church? And last week we began to talk about genuine love. And really, genuine love really envelops everything that we're going to be talking about over these next couple of chapters. If we remember what the words of Christ were, what are the two great commandments? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments are summed up in those. And so love really envelops everything that we're going to be learning uh, over these uh, coming weeks Just as there is counterfeits for love, there are counterfeits for hope. Hope really is the the subcategory we're going to be looking at today. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love hopes all things. And so as we think about hope, we have to think about, okay, what is the world's definition of hope? And what is the word's definition of hope? And the world... When you think about hope, it's, 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 it's not certain, right? We hope something's going to happen, but we're not sure whether it's going to happen. And, and, and the Bible talks about the hope that the world offers as things like waterless clouds. And it looks like, looks like it's going to rain, but there's nothing in it. A waterless springs, right? You're so thirsty, you get to the spring and there's nothing there. You think about all the, the hopes that people put their, their hope into in this world. Do you think about maybe some of the vices, gambling, right? Just come, come on to the casino. You'll be just like the guys on TV and you're going to win $10 million. There's a shortcut to the riches you're looking for and inevitably leads to what? Having less than what you started with. Well, sure, there's that guy, and you think that you're going to be that guy, but more times than not, you're not that guy. Drug use. It promises relief from the pains and troubles of this world. Only 
to wake up to the reality that you're in a worse place than when you began. Then there is lust. It promises excitement, fulfillment, even the prospect of love and leaves you damaged with regrets and longing for something more. Entertainment. Any entertainment going on these days? Right? Like trying to capture your attention. Entertainment promises joy, an escape from your problems, a, a distraction from the pain of your reality. Today, that could be through gaming, movies, television, streaming, or the multitude of social media platforms. And yet, no matter how much you consume it, it never satisfies. There's so many false teachings, the, the world trying to offer hope. And, and 2 Peter 2, 19 and 20 says this, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first over and over again, these empty promises of the world. If you just do this, it will turn out well for you and it not turn out well over and over and over again. And so those are the vices. What about just the everyday things of this world? If I just had the perfect family, my life would be set. That's all I need. If I just had enough money in the bank where I didn't have to worry anymore, that's, that's all I need. If I could just get that raise, if I could just get that promotion, all these different things that we, we, we think if we just put our hope in those things and we get them, then we will be satisfied. And, and what we find is what King Solomon found. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. And yet that doesn't stop us from trying to put our hope in the things of this world. Not just those who don't know Christ, but even those of us who know him. And this passage this morning gives us a reset. It reminds us of where our hope truly lies. And not a hope of this world was like, I hope, maybe, I wish, like a long, but like a confident expectation, this I know kind of hope. This world is full of trouble. I know this is shocking to most of you here today. But we act like it is shocking. And what this passage shows us is that what do we do in times of trouble? Where are we to turn in times of trouble? And the things that we're going to be learning in this one verse we're studying today, there's nothing new, I believe, for most believers here. None of you are going to be like, wow, okay. I've never seen that in my Bible ever before. But... What I have seen over and over again in my own life and in the lives of those around me is that we don't apply what this verse says. We know it up here, but we don't live it out. And so my prayer, my hope for us this morning is that we would live this out. That we would, by God's grace, grow in our understanding of this and that we together can spur one another on in these things. And so before we do, let me pray for us, and then let's get into it.
God, we thank you so much for your word. We're thankful that, Lord, um, you know everything about us. Lord, we think this morning of the multitude of burdens that are represented here today. And God, we thank you that you know and you care. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who loves us so much that you point us to the truth. You point us to the way. And Lord, because you loved us, Lord, you not only appointed us to the way that, Lord, we have an example to follow, which is Jesus Christ. And so, God, this morning, would you t- help this preacher to preach your word in a way that you would be glorified, that our hearts and minds would be changed, and that, Lord, we would know you better, that we love you better as a result of our time together today. And it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we all need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and just slip up your hand. We want to be able to look down at this verse together. Maybe it's a verse you've already memorized, but we, we want to look at it together. We're going to read the context. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. And uh, Romans chapter 12, and we're going, to, we're going to, to set the context. I'm going to read again verses 1 and 2, and then 9 through 12. And ver- beginning in verse 1, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As I've been saying, Satan has a counterfeit for everything that God says is true. And hope is in that same category that we're talking about today. So we need to continually be in the word that we might be able to discern what is the will of God. And then he says in verse 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And then he says this. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. These three phrases fit together. If you want to have joy, if you want to be patient, you must pray. They all go together. And so it's important that we keep that in mind as we study that verse this morning. And as we look at it, we're going to see three things. Genuine love first requires confident expectation in God. We need to have confident expectation in God as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. The Bible is clear as you go through the New Testament that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should have joy in their lives today. If you're in Christ, you should have joy in your life. You should have it from now until the day that you die. It is a fruit of the Spirit, it says in Galatians chapter 5. For you and I to have joy. Does that describe your life today? Do you have joy? I think part of the problem for you and I, is for us not having joy in this life, is that we're putting our 
joy, our hope, in the wrong things. We're seeking joy in the wrong things. We put our joy based on our circumstances. If my circumstances go the way that I want them to, I have joy. If they do not, I have bitterness, I have anger, I have frustration, I have discouragement. You just think about all the different things that maybe you have had planned for your life and it's just not working out the way that you'd hoped. Maybe by now you thought you'd be married. I remember going through my 20s thinking like, you know, I didn't get married till I was 29. I thought in my original plan it would have been earlier, right? Maybe that's you and it, as the years go on you're just like, okay God, like what's going on? And you're discouraged. You're restless. Maybe you, as a married couple, thought you'd have children by now. Or you've had children, but you thought they would love Christ by now. And so you're discouraged. You're downhearted. You thought you would have a promotion by now, and yet others keep getting chosen over you, and you ask, why God? You thought you would be further ahead financially by now, and yet... Your finances continue to struggle. Maybe in the spiritual, you thought you would be more mature in Christ by now, but it's not happening. You're still struggling in certain areas of your life, and you're just wondering, when will you ever have victory? Obviously, I'm just touching on the different struggles of this life. There's all kinds of struggles that you and I have. And we can wrestle for joy. Yet, consider this man's life. The man who had experienced countless beatings almost until death. The guy who was imprisoned many times for the crime of being a believer. The guy who had received five different, on five different occasions, 40 lashes minus one. Why the minus one? Because they find that people die after the 40. That kind of beating, that kind of pain. The guy who had been stoned by the hands of his enemies, the guy who had been shipwrecked three different times, even at one time spending over 24 hours in the water wondering if he was going to survive, the guy who was always in danger, the guy who had sleepless nights, the guy who suffered from hunger and thirst and was often without food, the guy who suffered from the cold, the guy who had the weight of all the churches on his shoulders, this guy says, rejoice in hope. In other books, he says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, he says rejoice always. The Apostle Paul had a far harder life than any of us here in this room, and he says rejoice. How? Isn't that what the question you have this morning? Like, really? Like, how is any of that joy? How is that, how, like, I think sometimes part of the problem is we kind of have a skewed view of joy, right? As he's getting whipped, he's not like, <laughs> this is great. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. It's something so much deeper, so much something so much better than that. It is to rejoice in Hope. In hope. 
That's the key phrase. We rejoice in hope, not in our circumstances. If it was about the circumstances, Paul would have never written what he wrote. But it's not in the circumstances, it's to rejoice in hope. No joy is found in hope, sorry, joy is found in hope, not on whether I get what I want or think I need today. You see that? It's not based on what, if I get my will, if I get my way, it's not, joy is not based on that, it's based on hope. Now, we need to have a biblical understanding of hope. As I've already mentioned, hope is confident trust. It's confident trust. It is, it is to know I will receive what I hope for. It's different than the world, right? Think about how we use the word hope. I hope it rains tomorrow. I hope it snows tomorrow. I hope it's a nice day tomorrow. Like, I don't know if it will be or not, but I hope, right? I hope I pass this test. I hope I make some friends. I hope I get the job. I hope I start feeling better. But like, there's, what's the confidence there? There is no confidence. For the believer, we have a confident expectation in what is to come. Romans 5, 2 says this, through him we have obtained access, access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Every single believer here this morning, this is your hope. This isn't it. This life is not all there is. There is a life to come. Eternity is waiting and glory is waiting. I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to be going through a lot of different verses. Write them down. Study these things for yourself. Meditate on these things. If you're struggling to have joy, then look at what the scriptures say about where you should find your hope. Where you should find your joy. One day, all that is temporary will be replaced by eternal. These temporary bodies that you and I have will then be turned into glorious bodies. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is not your home. I think we need, can I say that again? This is not your home. Canada is not your home. You are tenting here. You are camping here, but this is not your home. Your home is in heaven. And so if you are restless, good. If you're longing for something more, you should, because it's coming. This is our confident hope. This is our confident trust. We rejoice in that hope. It's not just something that we rejoice in later. It's something we rejoice in now, as if it's ours right now. Because it's that real. Because it's, we have that kind of confidence Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if you, you then have been raised with Christ, have you? Are you in Christ this morning? If you've been raised with him, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Get your minds off of the things on the earth and on to the things above. Meditate on what is to come. Just think about what it will be like to, to be in his presence, to, to, to no longer struggle with sin, to no longer have sickness and death, to see him in all his glory. As believers, we're not to fixate on the disappointments of this world. We are not to be consumed by the problems of our day. We are to be seeking the, the things that are above. Hope fixates on what is to come. Hope fixates on the power of the gospel to change lives. Hope fixates on the Lord's return. He's coming. So many people without joy. This has been highlighted especially so over the last two years. Everybody's sharing their wisdom with one another. I go on Facebook and I'm ready to gag. Twitter, whatever you want to, like whatever your thing is. I can't, I can't do it. I don't know how you go on there. Like literally drives me nuts. Watching what everybody's, all their wisdom, all their self-importance. Look at me. Look at me. Sharing my wealth of knowledge to the world about how to change our country. Believer, are you getting caught up in that? We got one message. It's the gospel. Our hope is not in who governs us. Our hope is not in regulations or vaccines or none of it. Our hope is in the gospel, people. That's why we can rejoice in all things. Because no one and nothing can take away our hope. I want to encourage you in that this morning. If you are continually riding the waves of our society and, oh, we, a good thing happened this week and now a bad thing happened this week, you will be as hopeless and without joy as the person next to you. It is, it is only in Christ and in what is to come that we can have joy. This morning, if you have no joy, could it be that you're trying to find joy in the wrong things? Flip over to 1 Peter 1 real quick. 1 Peter 1. Paul sums it up really well. Just as an FYI, pretty much your entire New Testament is written where it's not going well for believers. <laughs> right? Life is not easy. It's very difficult. It's hard. First Peter is just another one of those books. And yet, note the hope and the joy that he shows us here. First Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. 
Christ has given us a hope that will never die. It's a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Certainty. Certainty. Do you see that this morning? You have an inheritance waiting who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Life is hard. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is what we rejoice in. Redemption, stop and consider what is to come. You know what is to come. The glory, your inheritance, seeing him, being with the Lord, no more worries, no more pain. It's coming soon. We have a living hope through Christ's resurrection. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in your confident expectation of what is to come. Rejoice in your salvation. This morning, if you find yourself discouraged, bitter, sad, renew your joy by focusing on what is to come and, who, and on who Christ is, our hope, it says in 1 Timothy 1.1. He is our hope. So this morning, rejoice in hope. You don't have to rejoice in your circumstances. You don't have to rejoice in, in whatever struggles you're, you're having right now. If you're in pain, then you can lament, you can mourn, you can weep. But under it all, there's a rejoicing knowing that God is in control, which brings us to our next point. Genuine love requires committed endurance for God. It requires committed endurance for God. He says simply, be patient in tribulation. In case you've missed it, life is hard and will be hard. And it will require you to have endurance. It will require you to be patient in the trial. Not to try to just get rid of it, but to weather it, to, to, to go through the trial, to go through the tribulation. You will have tribulation in this world. It's really important that you accept that and embrace that. Jesus said in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You will have tribulation. We read that and we're like, it's really good that Jesus warned his 12 disciples about that. That was for them. 
Or we look at that and say, it looks like I might have tribulation in my life. And he says, you will. You will have tribulation. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. Paul and Barnabas says they preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And then it says this, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 Thessalonians 3, 2 and 4, it says this. Paul says this, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, you kept telling me, you're sorry, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. You will have troubles. You will have affliction. You will have tribulation. And if you're like me, you're still not sure if that's true or not. Just in my past, maybe not in my future. Maybe, maybe somehow between now and then, it's, everything's going to turn out so good. No problems. I'm going to pray and I'll get what I want. Like that's, but it doesn't go that way, does it? <laughs> but when it doesn't go that way, we're shocked. What? How did this happen? There's what there's known as the health and wealth gospel out there. Anybody ever heard of that? Health and wealth gospel, right? God, God's going to heal every sickness. No one is going to die. Uh, that's not true. You just pray and you have enough faith, you're going to be rich. Everything will turn out for you. That is a false gospel. You, you can pull a verse from here and pull a verse from there and kind of build whatever you want in the Bible. But it's not the message of the Bible. Jesus says you will have tribulation. But I believe the false gospel of the health and wealth gospel has impacted you and I. Because we are shocked when we have that car accident. We prayed for safe travel, and yet we had a wreck. We, we prayed that they wouldn't die, and they died. And we're shocked. We prayed for a raise, and I got fired. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. Many of us think, if we're being honest, that if we just do the right things, and we walk in truth, then nothing bad will happen to us. But it's just not true. 
You've had tribulation, many of you. Some of you are in tribulation, and we will have tribulation. And so, Paul says you must be patient in it. The Greek word here is hypomeno. Hypomeno. It is to be persistent. It is to refuse to stop. It is to continue to bear up despite difficulty and suffering. To endure. To bear up. To demonstrate endurance. The road between now and glory is not promised to be a smooth one. So we need to refuse to stop. We need to persist. We need to endure through the ups and downs of this life. Part of that is recognizing that the events that are happening in your life right now are not random. They are not without meaning. God is sovereign over everything that's happening on this earth. And sometimes that's really hard for us to swallow. It can be discouraging. God, you are powerful and you know everything, so how could you have allowed this in my life? But he asks us to trust him in those times. He knows the pains and struggles of your life. We need to remember that when Jesus lived on this earth, he experienced all the pains that you experience. Chester says this, Jesus knows what it is to be hungry, assaulted, rejected, tired, lonely, tempted, needy, opposed, and busy. He faced poverty, injustice, temptation, betrayal, And more than all that, on the cross, he was forsaken by the Father. He shares our struggles. He can not only relate to all the struggles you face right now, but he knows exactly what you're going through. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know you. And he asks you to trust him, to know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to use the situations in your life for good. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In the wrestling, in the struggle, in in the difficulties of your life, God is using these things to make you more like Jesus. And that is a really, really good thing. Note in Romans 8, 28 and 29, it doesn't say that he will remove the trials. It doesn't say that things will turn out the way that you want them to turn out. But it does say he will make you more like him. This is why Paul says in Romans 5, 3 and 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance 
And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What you're wrestling through, what you're struggling with, is not pointless. God will be with you. He is there to help you, and he will bring you to that day of glory. Your hope will not put you to shame this morning. So run with endurance. Be patient. Don't give up. In your pain, in your sorrow, in your trial, be patient, be patient knowing that the Lord is with you. He cares for you. Remember that this race has an ending. These struggles, this suffering is not forever. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, 18, he says, the, the, the temporary sufferings that we're going through right now aren't worth comparing with the eternal glory that is coming. So be patient in your tribulation. Genuine love requires confident expectation in God, committed endurance for God, and then lastly, constant engagement with God. If you and I are to get through our wrestlings, our struggles, our sufferings, our tribulations, then we must pray. We must be constant in prayer. You will not ever have joy in this world if you're not in prayer. You, you will be consumed by your problems. You'll be consumed by all that is going on. You, you will lose perspective on what is to come. You will forget Eternity waits. You must be constant in prayer. Do you believe that this morning? Or do you believe that you're able to have joy apart from prayer? Do you believe that you can get through your tribulations without praying? We live in a society, in a world that built itself on being prideful of what we can accomplish, right? If we just all work together, we can do it. There's nothing we can't do together. Or we say, in a personal sense, I can do it. Like the three-year-old that's inside every one of us, we say, I do it, right? I do it, I do it. I don't need to pray. The whole Tower of Babel, right? Look what we can do together. It's a mantra that began back then and it still continues today. Look what we can do. We don't need to pray. We don't need to turn to God. Prayer has become a last resort in the church rather than our first inclination. Has it not? When, when, whenever the situation is, why, why is not the first thing we do pray instead of saying, well, I tried X, Y, and Z, and it didn't work, so then I prayed. Why do we not pray? I was trying to think of maybe some of the reasons that we don't pray. Are we concerned that he's too busy to listen to us? Anybody have that kind of thinking? Like I, I, would, I, I would pray, but I'm sure he's pretty busy right now. Or maybe, maybe you think, well, I'll pray to an angel or a saint instead. I mean, which is ridiculous. Do you think that your problem needs to be at least a seven 
in order to take it to him. You know what I'm talking about? I don't take the small things to him, just the big things. Does your pride make you think that you don't need God to help you? That you can figure it out on your own? Do you think that he may answer your prayers in a way that you don't want him to? I got this. I got Because if I pray, it may not turn out the way I want it to. Perhaps you do not pray because you have discovered that prayer is hard. You've discovered it's difficult to cry out to the Lord. To knock at the door, to labor in prayer, to wrestle, to strive with him. And so it's just easier not to pray. We're lazy. Maybe you feel like you tried praying, but it didn't work. The reasons we give are many. But for those who seek to do the will of God. For those of you who are here this morning and saying, God, I want to do your will. I want to do that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says to you, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. We need to be persistent in prayer. Whatever you're facing in your day, pray. pray should, prayer should be a part of your day, even when you're not facing major trials. Even in the small things, we should pray. I love what C.S. Lewis said here. Perhaps as those who do not turn to God in petty trials, we will have, a hab- will have no habit as, or such resort to help them when the great trials come. So those who have not learned to ask him for childish things will have less readiness to ask him for great ones. We must not be too high-minded I fancy we may sometimes be deterred from small prayers by a sense of our own dignity rather than God's. In other words, I don't need God for the small things. I'll only come to him with the big things. And if that's your attitude with C.S. Lewis saying, saying, really? Will you really take the big things to him if you won't take the small things to him? We need the Lord's wisdom, strength, and guidance every day. We need his spirit to lead us and to guide us. Do you not feel the weight of that every day? Lord, I need your wisdom. I need your help. Prayerlessness is a sign that you think too highly of yourself and your own abilities. Again, C.S. Lewis says this, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. I need him. Think of the Psalms. As you go through the Psalms, when they would come to the Lord with their, with their, with their, their problems, they, they, they would come and they would be reminded of how great he was. They were, remind, they were reminded of the big picture. When we come to him in prayer, it sets things right. It sets our minds right. We see how great and omniscient and powerful he is and reminded of his care for us. And as we cast our burdens upon him, we, we understand that it's not about our own abilities. It's not about us. It's about him and his glory. Trials help us to remember that we need God. This last week, I was informed of so many trials and difficulties that 
you guys are facing. And all I could do is, Lord, I have to pray. I have to pray. We need to be constant in prayer. Only He can help us. Only He can change things. Only He can bring about good in the bad. So we need to continue to be conscious of our need for prayer. This Greek word, when it says to be constant in prayer, it means to persevere. It means to give constant attention to a thing, to be devoted, to be steadfast, attentive to. Does that describe your prayer life? You, you, you may not have caught this, but it doesn't come natural to us, prayer, right? We want to do everything, and then when everything doesn't work, then maybe we pray. But that ought not to be you, believer. Be constant in prayer. So let's just think about that. You wake up, pray. Praise God for another day. He's decided you have another day to serve him. As you're driving to work, pray. God, I need you today. Fill me with your spirit. I need your wisdom. As I work with my fellow employees, I, I need your light to shine through me so that they might see you and me. As you're driving home, God, I need your wisdom to lead my family the way I ought to lead them, to be the husband I need to be, to be the, the father I need to be. God, help me. Every time you sit down to eat, recognize it's from him. Every good gift comes from him. You pray, you give thanks, not in a petty way, but in a real way. As you go to bed at night, you thank him for the day. You, you pray again, thank, uh, pray, giving him your burdens that you have. When you feel blessed, praise him. When the trials come, cry out to him. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. It takes intentionality. Whenever you get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, plan on doing this, praying. Plan to pray at some point together. Do you feel like giving up? Are you discouraged? Are you struggling with joy? Then start with this. Be constant in prayer. So we're going to do that now, together. We're going to pray together. I want you to get together in small groups because we don't have a long time. We have a short time. And I want you to share one trial that you have in your life. To share the trial. Don't give a long explanation. Say the trial and then somebody pray for you. Get together in, with the people in front of you, behind you, beside you, whatever. But let's pray together. Let's be constant in prayer. And reminder, these things are said in the body of Christ analogy. This is what we do as individuals, but it's what we do together. We pray for one another. We share one another's burdens. And so I want you to just take a few minutes. I'm going to have Lee come up. She's just going to play uh, over us so he can, can we just give us a, a few minutes. Dean's going to give us a timer. I think we've got about six minutes here to do this. So, And then I'm going to close this in prayer. But I want us to say, okay, we're not going to we don't need another book on prayer. We don't need another study on prayer. We need to pray, all right? So let's pray together right now. Get together with somebody beside you, behind you, in front of you, however. 
But let's pray together. Look around. Make sure nobody's left on their own. And then let's pray together. If you join us online, I want to just encourage you to do the same thing. Pray with some those people you're watching with at home and pray for one another's trials. Remind each other, this isn't it. This is temporary. Joy is coming. Joy is ours in Him.
Lord God, thank you that you know every trial, every burden here this morning. That God, you are a God who cares. God, you are a God who is with us. You're a God who not only is God, but Lord, you came and you set the example. Lord, you walked this earth. You, you know not only because you know everything, you know because you went through it yourself, God. And so God, we thank you that you are with us this morning. We thank you that you've come, that this, this trial will be short. Lord, one day soon, you're going to return. And Lord, you will take us to be with you. And what an awesome day that will be. Lord, no more death, no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow. Lord, we rejoice that our hope is sure. Lord, I pray that you just help us to remember that as we go through the difficulties of this life. God, help us to support one another. Help us to encourage one another. And, and God, we pray that even today, may this mark a change in the culture of our church, in, the, in, in our own lives, God, that we would be a people who are constant in prayer, who, who, who are quick to turn to you, who are not, in, uh, not trying to do it in our own selves, but Lord, are, are, are so excited that, Lord, we get to come to you at any moment of any day. Lord, knowing that you hear us. And so, God, we love you. We thank you for this time and your word. We pray that they would not just be concepts that we understand, but, Lord, changes in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.